done whole parts. Oh, they take little tiny pieces. There won't even be a scar. I think I found the problem. Oh, come on, you're the doctor. Everyone, lights out and quiet. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Media Morgue Sideshow Interview with an Indie, where we sit down with enterprising filmmakers in our network and just beyond. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, writer, director, cinematographer, and editor of the recent found footage horror release, The Outwaters. Uh, Robbie Banfitch here with us today, ladies and gentlemen. The clock is all right. Give it up. Um, Wes reached out, uh, stepped out on faith to <laughs> to contact Robbie on Twitter, and um, he responded. And um, I'm I'm very glad that he did. We all went to see the movie together, the three of us. Yeah, at the we did. Draft House. We were in a packed cool. theater, actually, which was a very yeah. cool way to experience this film. Yeah, it's always yeah. it's always strange at the Alamo because I feel like people want to talk, uh, especially mm-hmm. with horror releases. But it's kind of like church, so you're kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Robbie, like, are you familiar with the uh sit down shut up method that they employ there? Um, I tell people to shut the fuck up in movie theaters if they keep talking. So Okay, so that's, that's like you're an acolyte. <laughs> I understand. Uh yeah, he's a deacon of this of the cinema church. Um, which is good, which is good. Um we uh yeah, we went to see it together. It was definitely quite a spectacle and um we have been trying to, you know, look for a way to interview people who are kind of just stepping out of, you know, stepping into rather the mainstream and having wide releases for their pictures. So this was a great opportunity. And thank you again. What was the audience reaction? It's so different every time. Some people, there's a lot of inappropriate laughter. Sometimes it's just totally <laughs> silent. It's so confounding. Yeah. 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 A lot of like, what the fuck are we watching? Any walkouts? No, no. walkouts. No walkouts. Oh. No. There's some theaters up the to da- seven people walked out. The downtown Brooklyn Alamo, though, they they're like they're like war worn veterans. Like they're like, we'll do it. We'll stay here for an eight hour movie. It's good. good. <laughs> I offered myself for a Q and A, but I didn't hear back. I don't think from Brooklyn. There, there really? was Q and A though. There was a Q and A at like one of the. I thought it was Brooklyn, but I mean, we the Q and A show sold out. So we got tickets to the the one like right before. That wasn't yeah. a Q and A you? I did the two Q and A's in Manhattan, and then okay. I saw that the Brooklyn screening was pretty full. So I was like, "Hey, I'll come do it." But <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't get so, back. <laughs> Robbie, how did the, how does that how does that work with the Alamo? I've always wondered how does that Q and A situation work? Do they reach out to you? Do you reach out to them? Um. I don't know. My distributors were talking to them, and also Madeline Kessner, who mm-hmm. um, hosted one of the Q and A's. She runs the Unnamed Footage Festival in San Francisco, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. she wanted to host a Q and A. So she talked to them as well. But it was between my distributor and Alamo, and I know Madeline did some talking. Madeline Kessner is awesome, by the way. Cool. If you don't know her, shout out to Madeline Kessner. Shout out to you, Maddie. Um. So I am sure that we're gonna get into. Uh, you know, craft and like the technical aspects of what it was like to work on this film. But the first thing I wanted to talk about and get out of the way was just how surreal and kind of incredible the the marketing was for this movie. I mean, found footage films are no stranger to doing kind of avant-garde marketing. But the first thing I remember seeing was 
people were receiving these press kits for the outwaters that had these like handwritten messages on them, like written in Sharpie. And I think like bloody handprints and stuff. I remember seeing Megan Navarro, who's a writer for bloody disgusting, uh, posting this on Twitter. And then that was kind of how I first heard about the movie. And I went down this rabbit hole. I mean, the social media feed for this movie was extremely surreal, the bodies of text and stuff. Um, so I just wanted to ask you like, what was kind of the, inspiration behind that because it seemed like the social media was kind of like a character of its own there really wasn't much actual marketing beyond the two trailers and good reviews out of festivals um despite what you may read about the uh, global conspiracy to uh, promote the outwaters i don't know if you've seen any of that <laughs> no <laughs> i think alex right. jones talked about that a little bit yeah yeah, yeah yeah um no it i i made the the two trailers the teaser trailer and then the the longer still pretty much a teaser trailer that played um after that uh i run the twitter so i just i have to calm it down a bit my outwater's twitter got a bit aggro over the past um (laughs) (laughs) so in terms of the boxes they usually send out press kits and i just had talked to um alex who works at screenbox and he's also broke horror fan if you know broke horror fan um, and we talked about how I kind of wanted the box to feel like when Brad Pitt opens the box with Gwyneth Paltrow's head yeah. in it. So the idea yeah. for the how that box was put together um, was born out of like Alex and I talking. I think there may have been others involved, but yeah, it was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think the the box was really the only <laughs> piece of like marketing, marketing other than the trailers and the posters. Yeah, it was pretty effective, though. I, I remember Dan sent it in the group chat, and we were like, what is this? And then he was like, come see the movie, and we went to see the movie. That social um, media feed, like, reminded me so much of, like, uh, were you were you um, familiar with Marble Hornets by any chance? No, it's just a lot of ambient. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, so, Haven't so, done that in years. <laughs> I, uh, I had a question just a very specific for for maybe our audience who's still attempting to get their shorts through the festival circuit um you know i i, I know that that this this film was has actually been very successful in the circuit but but what was what was that journey trying to putting it on film freeway and pushing it and trying to see where it would go and and all that stuff what was that journey for you um this was my first attempt at entering anything into a festival so i just i asked a few friends who've gotten films into festivals um they're the ones who pointed me to film freeway um i just learned you know looked at it (laughs) learned what it was all about and then what i personally did was research the festivals that i i wanted to submit to but big ones and small ones there's a there's a lot of fest for people listening there's a lot of festivals that are bullshit that just want submission fees and they've been around i mean you know you just do your research make sure that people actually went to the festivals and there's pictures of human beings at them so yeah (laughs) oh yeah i just tried to weed out um you know festivals that seemed kind of bullshitty and and submitted to the ones that i thought would possibly like the movie and it really was as simple as that. I, I did spend time on my cover letter. Um, I made sure that the stills that I used and the, I had a t- trailer before the official ones. That was really 
um, captured the movie, but it was a lot more intense. So I just try to make sure the poster, the stills, and the trailer were good so that they would actually watch it. Yeah. Because a lot of people at festivals, like they, they hand it off to, um, they hand it off to friends or assistants to get through a bunch of the submissions, which you may know. Oh, I was, so. I was one of those, I was one of those interns. I, I, I know it well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that I, I, I did have experience of my friends like, Hey, can you watch all these movies for me? Like I don't have time. So I do know, like, you know, I, you got to get their attention. Um, early on but i also made sure that the trailer the poster and the stills accurately reflected the film um by the way your palm sunday is that what it's called poster is beautiful oh thank you man i appreciate it i appreciate it that's just recognizes real that's justin's (laughs) uh justin's face turning and looking at us i appreciate that that's that's me yeah oh wait i have more to say about the festival stuff oh yeah Um, please um because i want to give advice based on my limited knowledge uh i forget where i was though um well fuck you talked about making sure that the marketing material reflected the tone yeah. properly mm-hmm. oh that that's the only other thing i want to add i i test screened the movie for people that don't know me and yeah. and had them write um like letterbox reviews but i made sure to get people that didn't know me so it was actually objective. I can't stand it when you see friends, you know, <laughs> giving something, you know, like it, it's very transparent. And even though I didn't do that, my movie's still accused of, of having like friends do all things. So you can't really avoid it usually, but um, I, I made sure to include the test screening comments in the um, submission as well. Very cool. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's uh, great. Using Letterbox. I, um, yeah, yeah, it's a tool. It's, it's a tool. A tool. Um, I have a, a question for you, Robbie, that may uh, lead us then into more conversation about the craft of the film itself, which is just that, you know, like I said up top, you really um, one man armied this thing, as many horror filmmakers have done in the past. Uh, in a lot of ways, horror is like the home of the auteur, uh, because so often uh, a lot of the greats have had to do it themselves. Um, but I'm curious in your case when you think about the future of, you know, your filmmaking career, do you see yourself continuing to fill all these roles or was that purely out of necessity? Is there one that you would like to do more than others? You know, how do you feel about that? Um, I always want to write and direct and I do love shooting, but I could totally um, deal with not holding the camera anymore. I mean, I, I, I don't particularly want to be a cinematographer. Um, I have a close friend that I went to college at school of visual arts in New York city with yeah. and he shot my thesis film and he and I speak the same language and we work really well together. So, you know, I think finding a, a good cinematographer buddy is exciting. Um, um, but yeah, I, I always want to write and direct. I love editing. I can't picture not editing, mm. but there are, if I ever make something with like a studio, there are rules um, so I technically can't edit my movie, although like you can, but you have to like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that said, I think we're collaborating with other editors is fun and could, you know, always would bring out like new ideas and stuff. I basically collaborated with editors, but in the form of my friends feedback and, and that kind of, I had editor friends over to 
give me their editing feedback. I think the overall structure of the movie is really cool because when you start this film, I mean, I don't think there's any way to predict how kind of like kaleidoscopic and in a way like Kubrickian that like last act is. It feels almost like the closest thing found footage we'll ever get to 2001. Um, before we get into like more, you know, nitty gritty conversations on, you know, the technical aspects of the film, what was, uh, what was the whole inspiration behind that, that like fever dream of, of like endlessly going down that rabbit hole in the final act? From the beginning, there was always, I love Terrence Malick and yeah. all the freedom with the camera. Um, and I just somewhere along the line of wanting to make a found footage movie, needing to make a found footage movie due to sure, sure. not having any resources and loving certain movies like Blair Witch Project and Tree of Life. Somehow they all combined. Um, and it started with the title. Outwaters isn't a real word. And I thought, what could that mean? Like as a film title. Right. And so I think the how the second half of the film turned out was me following the logic of I, images I got from the word. So it's pretty, I think that might be why it's a little alienating to some people. Um, but there was always a, like, I always wanted to have the film kind of split in half um, in a way. And, and I think it's scary in real life. And when some, you know, in real life, like danger, horror, really usually just comes right out of the blue. <laughs> like mm -hmm. one second, everything's normal. And the next second, everything's chaos. Yeah. So that's where that split came from. Mm -hmm. um, so I was robbed at gunpoint and like right before I was robbed at gunpoint, totally like la di da di da. And then out of nowhere, just like, oh, mortality. Wait, am I going to die right now? Wait, this feels yeah. really dumb. Yeah. And, and just, so there is that split, um, which I find interesting having now you know i've seen it in movies but um i never lived it until then so but it's a similar kind of thing if you like get into a almost get into a car accident you're like oh if i or if you almost get hit by you know what it is yeah just sustained because the gun's in your face for like a while yeah mm. it's it's interesting it's um that that kind of suddenness of the violence and the way you know it goes from being a, a story about friends that are not beefing with each other they're like cool with each other they really enjoy each other's company and they're making something together and then suddenly something changes and it's not it's not that anymore and i and, and the suddenness of, of violence of being held at gunpoint or you know I, I i've been pulled to the side by police suddenly when i was a teenager yeah like, oh my god like now i could die um definitely yeah you know that feeling yeah, yeah yeah where like i felt trapped like i was in a spider web or something i was like wait yeah. i can't get out of this moment hmm. And this is so stupid. Like if I were just a few minutes ahead walking, right. yeah. like the, that whole sustained thing with the, you know, a, a human being with a gun, regardless of who it is, it, like it has a different effect than almost getting hit by a car or something like less insidious than that. Would you say, would you agree? Yeah. 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 I, I think that's, that's definitely very interesting. You know, um, I'm curious, just following up on, you know, your response to Dan's question, um, you know, and we're kind of hopping around the movie as we, as we, as we usually do just when we're reviewing stuff, but like when it, 
Yeah. <laughs> but you've hinted not just in this interview, but in others um, at the idea that it, the film could feel sort of impenetrable to people that like you're aware of that. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. It felt toward the finale when when you when Robbie uh, arrive uh, and you see that gas mask in the center of the ground and there's that hint toward like the government facility that mm-hmm. felt as if it was almost an olive branch to like an explanation of some mm-hmm. sort. How interested were you? I'm curious in the making of the film. It's one thing when you're making it, another thing when you're talking about it, of course, but mm-hmm. how interested were you while making it uh, in offering an explanation to the chaos? Um. Well, so there was a central specific idea for the threat and what is happening from the mm-hmm. very beginning. And I definitely, everything that you see in the movie follows the logic of that, threat which i don't talk about because then it ruins the movie for some people who have their own idea but i did follow a specific logic for the for the threat um and also a logic of found footage where you wouldn't see everything a lot of stuff would be obscured if this were real footage things wouldn't be filmed there would be stuff that happens in between like you know you're getting fucked up in the desert you don't necessarily have time to run over every piece of information that mm-hmm. could help the audience. So I did know that it was going to f- annoy the fuck out of some people and <laughs> call it like a terrible movie and it's horribly written. But I also knew that um, some people it would work really well for. And I, I just stuck to the whole point of the movie in the first place. So like I wasn't trying to make, um, yeah, I was just following that story that was, in, that was interesting to me. So. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. What was well, uh, I, I go ahead, well, Buzz. I was going to just uh, go go along the production rabbit hole. What was your hardest day on set? I know everybody every director has a, a day where they're like, "Oh, I I should never make movies again." Like I feel like- Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I go in and out of that like I had a whole week this past week just trying to deliver. So what I'm having to do now is take all the dialogue and grunts and out so I can make the track for people to horribly dub it in different countries. (laughs) And so I don't have, you know, like the resource, there's, there's no team to do this. So I'm like doing that. So a few times this week, I was like, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I can't pay my rent. Why am I like working 17 hours a day? on this fucking dialogue thing that half the people fucking hate this movie. Like, you know, so I go in and out of that all the time, but at the end of the day, if you're passionate about film, you like come to, or you just need to take like a long break and like do a little like Molly or something. Yeah, Maybe. What What are you going to say, Dan? Uh, Well, it's just cool to watch like first features from a lot of the filmmakers. We had an episode on the show where we talked like chiefly about like, our favorite filmmakers is first films. And it's funny because horror is such an interesting genre to begin with. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, experimental filmmaker, Maya Darren from like decades and decades ago, but I've been reading some of her essays and she talks about horror as being the genre that's closest in proximity to the avant-garde. Whereas narrative filmmaking up until the 60s was kind of like the broke cousin of novel writing or playwriting Mm. and as a filmmaker she thought of making movies as like the camera is your canvas and you shouldn't have to pass through all these hands 
You know, you shouldn't have to pass through producers and different teams and stuff. And horror kind of gives the auteur the opportunity to do that for your you just to film, you know, what you have in your mind. I mean, in a lot of ways, your movie reminded me of Meshes in the Afternoon, Meshes of the Afternoon, in that in that final act, every time we cut, we're in like a different location, you know, we're in a plane and then in the mother's house and things are illuminated only from like a little sliver of light. And so I guess all of this is just to say, do you think you will remain in kind of the same wheelhouse for your next feature? Or was horror just kind of like, a jumping off point to get to other modes of filmmaking that you were into. No, I'll always want to make horror, but I also always want to make dramas and, and some musicals and all kinds. Um, I'm not really like a action guy or co- like broad comedy kind of guy. So probably not those, but I'll always want to jump around. Uh, the, the stories I have, they fit different genres. And as to your, you know, what you were saying about the, do-it-yourself type of stuff i think um there's a way that i could do a a lo-fi musical if i want to i just have to shape the story and the actors and you know get the right people and write the right songs to make it work because you did you see once once yeah so once doesn't look good necessarily i don't know what it was filmed on but it's pretty cheap looking but it's such a fantastic beautiful amazing movie is because the story and the, the actors and the songs didn't really it didn't really matter what it looked like um or it, or it didn't matter that whether it was shot the way it was or on like film it it was just very lovely and stuff so you just you know, my next movie i shot on mini dv it's another found movie totally different because i didn't want to do the same thing at all but um is this in production or or is this this is wrapped or oh it's wrapped no it's premiering at a festival in like less than two weeks which oh wow um, whoa okay but it just yeah my point with that is you just that story i wrote because i'm like i want to shoot something on mini dv and i have mini dv and wrote the based the story around it um but yeah you can make any movie you want think about what camera you have and and what story might fit the general way that looks yeah Mm -hmm. uh robbie we've been beating around the bush and i and i want you to know these guys have shown restraint not asking this but i will ask (laughs) uh who made the fake dick we need to know That, I don't, I don't want to, so, okay, so only specifically with this movie, I feel like it would be a disservice to say where certain things came from or what they are, because then you'll never unsee it. But what I can say about the fake dick is that I was going to go to a sex store in West Hollywood to find a dildo, a realistic looking dildo. But what I'll say is I was able to find something better. That sounds ominous. Um, <laughs> I no, I, I, someone had made it and I dirtied it up and, and okay. added, I added a hair. Okay. One hair. I, a single one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's great. I, I want you to know that you were asking how our audience is reacting. When the fake dick drops into frame, our audience was like, oh my God. We were like, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's when you see him st- when when it, 
we first get the implication that like he's gonna he's about to like chop his cock off um and the audience has been like very respectful up until that point and then it was holy fuck you know i'm like looking around uh there's a lot of shifting interesting because i just read i mean although there are cynical people that lie but i did read on twitter yesterday someone was like oh the whole theater was cracking up at that you know it's like so different every time most of the screenings i've been to there's that kind of nervous i can't believe this is happening laughter mixed with this yeah horror which for a lot of time do great reaction you know that's you want right for, for audiences to be like what the fuck are we watching right now that's kind of cool yeah, well, i don't want the kind of laughter that's making fun of it or thinks it's sure funny. no no i know yeah but i mean it's better than no reaction i guess no it's just so different usually what what happens is what you described it's just sometimes there's no reaction or or it's like a different kind of laughter so it's just weird i think honestly with this movie if there's one heckler I know this happened at a screening in, in Ireland. There's like one or two hecklers that start shouting things out. And for whatever reason, they don't, it's not like they don't like it. They can yeah. burn the audience. And yeah. Yeah. So that's I've seen good. it happen before. It's, it's, well, I mean, I've been in theaters where the audience turns on the movie. Like I remember seeing Interstellar and like when Matt Damon shows up, like you could feel it in the audience. People <laughs> were like, oh, we don't like this anymore. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> It, it happens frequently in horror things. Dan- Danny always goes to the best audiences. I know you said that the audience was divided in the last Scream movie, not the new one where they, they pack up Dewey. You said your audience like split in half when that happened, which is always interesting. Kinda, yeah. My next question is a little bit about the, uh, an actual question about the film, which is, you know, obviously with found footage in general, um, one of the major, I guess, hallmarks of it is that it makes a lot of use of sound, you know, mm-hmm. because there's always like what you're what you're seeing and then what causes the camera to go somewhere else because they're trying to track where that sound came from. Obviously, this movie uses a lot of different sounds. I'm curious yeah. um, if you would talk a bit about the importance of sound generally to your movie and also maybe as much as you feel like raising the curtain on how you achieved certain things like specifically the booming noise which i think is so incredible upsetting. that those booms that they hear before we say anything else whose voice was that that sh- that says uh show them was that you i'm not telling you okay <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing listen what's happened to me like i'll 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 watch a audio commentary i'll learn how they did something and then every time i see the movie after that i'm only thinking about the dumb thing yeah and i i just don't want to do that for this one but there are certain things just yeah but you know what i'm saying um sound though obviously it's became really important to this i wasn't even thinking about doing any kind of like elaborate sound design though when i was making it um uh but as i started playing with things for little moments and realizing due to the nature of the threat in the movie and due to the nature of the film itself, that there are so many um, opportunities to explore and and come up with some new ideas and play around that. It just, it all really snowballed and like spent like two years on the sound design. What I want to say about the boom though, is I keep seeing this thing on that people keep saying I use the vine boom like what the fuck is the vine boom? <laughs> I looked up the vine boom. That's not the boom. Just so you know, I know where I got my booms. 
<laughs> just clearing that up. And it doesn't even sound like the vine boom. It doesn't sound. I, I appreciate you saying that, and we will make sure. Story. We will make sure to put that in the video release on Instagram. That this yeah. is not the vine boom. Not the fucking vine boom. Um, I'll send how, you the real boom. Well, there's how, a few. How big was your crew? There is no crew. It was you. you? Me and the actors were the crew. Three times I had one friend come out because I needed like one extra person to do something. But the majority of the shoot is just me and the actors. So they were all the crew. I have a I have a question that might be I don't know kind of like heavy I don't know if not like emotionally but it it's a, it could take a while to unpack so whatever if I'm not doing this interview right now it means that I have to go back to editing my grunts out of the movie got it, so I'm got it. great 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 great, great. To, to, to kill some time <laughs> um, uh, so. We, our last episode, we reviewed, uh, we're a double feature podcast and uh, we reviewed Skinema Rank um, by Conrad mm. Rabal. Of course, you're familiar with. Um, uh, What's that movie? Well, I can't remember it's, the name uh, of the second movie. It's a Possession. movie about, uh, you know, it's a, it's a movie about oh. uh, kids, those kids' movies, yes. you know. Children. But we reviewed those two movies together. And in the process of doing that, we talked a lot about. Um, what seems to be an another revolution maybe happening in horror filmmaking in terms of uh, the types of people who are making it and also what the mode is. Uh, we talked about, uh, we're all going to the world's fair. We talked about skin Marink. We talked about uh, a 24 developing this back rooms film uh, based off of the, you know, the internet thing. And now the outwarders, which as you've said, a made up word could even kind of be its own dimension, right? That like, that's kind of how I feel here when you talk about it, that, you are exploring and creating what the Outwaters is. So has it occurred to you, um, I wonder, that you could be at the vanguard of a horror revolution yourself? You've given a lot of deference to the movies that have inspired you, but has right. that thought ever crossed your mind that like, oh, this is a movie people will be talking about? I mean, when I was making it, I wasn't thinking of it as experimental. Really? No, I really don't think it is very... I think there are moments that are kind of experimental, but... Um, I think just due to the nature of the threat, it becomes something that's put together a little differently. So I guess, yeah, but I wasn't experimenting. I wasn't trying to experiment. Um, I was aware of certain things that I was doing. Like, oh, I haven't quite, I don't think I've seen that before personally, but I guess I wasn't setting out to, to do to make something like experimental, if that makes sense. I was just trying to tell the story that was in my head yeah, and sure. it just kind of came out that way. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, depending on who you follow on Letterboxd, that statement may be controversial. <laughs> I think that Skin and Marink and We're All Going to the World's Fair are a little bit more like in, in I don't know if indicatives are right, or, or a little bit more like, I could see that in, in those. Um, with my own thing, it's a little hard to see it that way because it's like just me and my friends and I've been sitting there playing with it and it just feels like, you know, like my project. So it's just a little weird. But I like, I'll just say that when I saw Skinner Rink in the theater, it made me really happy that yeah. something that weird was playing in AMCs. Mm -hmm. that, that's <laughs> just cool. We were, we were saying that on the podcast. We were saying, you know... Uh, a lot of times when you're covering film or just a fan of film or on letterbox 
judging people's opinions on movies, you you start to feel a little glum about the future of film. But I think yeah. something like Skinner Rank and something like The Outwaters, you know, um, makes you feel like, okay, mm-hmm. this stuff is still oh, coming out. This stuff is still coming out and, and original ideas are still being brought to the fore, um, which was really encouraging, I know, for me and, and I know for you guys as well. I noticed you have Cujo behind you. Do you have a favorite Stephen King book? Um, I think Misery is my favorite book. Okay. But Cujo was the first book I read by Stephen King. I know that once I read Pet Cemetery, that will be my favorite. I, I yeah. started it. It's definitely going to be my favorite yeah. Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, look. This is the old, the original one. Whoa. Wow. It's a first uh, pressing? I don't know if it's a first pressing, but it's like from when it came out-ish. He, he used yeah. to have such good covers, and now he just has these weird... Yeah, the- well, you know the whole like culture dedicated to that, though, right? How horror novels used to have such like striking covers. You, you and were with me. I mean, I I have that coffee table book, uh, paperbacks from hell. Where it's, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's it's just I, old. I got my first paperbacks from hell, the auctioneer. I haven't yeah. read it yet, guys. So, but um, yeah, I miss old yeah artwork mm. covers. I specifically ordered like old copies of some of my favorite books so that um oh good book recommendation because most people haven't read it it's uh phantoms by dean Koontz. oh okay, okay. this is one of my definitely my favorite dean Koontz book i actually really like the movie even though it got horrible reviews and people don't seem to like it but i thought it was due to the nature of the story i thought it was pretty unique um yeah. so read this one cool, cool, cool. yeah Cool. See, we don't just talk about movies on the medium war, guys. We talk about books for a minute books. and a half. And <laughs> I have three seasons of me. the show. I have books yeah. behind me, you know. People need to know I can read. Yeah. Justin, what you were about to ask may have been in this kind of uh, lineage. Um, and cut me off if I'm stepping on your, your toes here. Uh, but, uh, Robbie, were you um, seeing any of these uh, sight and sound reportings? By any chance lately it was like all these filmmakers saying like their 10 favorite movies mm. yes i made one but i think i had to put like 13 on it okay do you <laughs> do you think you could whittle it down to 10 and maybe fire them off well it may take me a moment just give me like one more minute and if i can't yeah. find it i'll just yeah i know a few of them okay well while we're getting there um how did, how did the film get picked up? I mean, well, what was that like finding a distributor for, um, for the, for the run and to eventually be streaming on screen box and stuff? So basically, uh, it got, uh, I got into a couple of film festivals. I got reviews out of those festivals, which led to other festivals being interested in it. Um, and, someone at um bloody disgusting saw the film at panic fest mm-hmm. okay. uh, and that's how Screenbox and and cinedime got in touch with us they did they liked the movie a lot and they they thought that they uh you know could could do something with it so yeah um i just trusted them because i talked a lot about blu-rays and reversible sleeves and um <laughs> We made, we, you know, I made sure that they actually got me and they actually liked the movie and it wasn't going to be one of these things where 
they just take the movie and then put it in their mm-hmm. cycle of shit they just pump out to consolidate coins. Sure. Yeah, so, I get that. Do you know that your trailer was going to be playing before Terrifier 2 in theaters? Well, they had been trying to make that happen for a while, so I was aware that it might happen, and then when it did happen, it was fun. <laughs> it's yeah. funny because Terrifier 2 ended and as insane and you know cranked to 4,000 as that movie is. Like, I heard murmurs leaving the theater. Like, what was that movie? The Outwater? Mm-hmm. What was that? Like, like a found footage thing? Like... Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was that was definitely a trailer that like grabs you. I think like everybody pretty immediately wanted to know more. Well, I, those hate, I know that was your handiwork. I hate most trailers, and mm-hmm. I also hate when they take reviews out of context or like yeah. a word from the review or or <laughs> stellar. like stellar. <laughs> <laughs> quote is like this is stellar and how bad it is yeah yeah i can't i'm allergic to that i also don't like editing quotes and you know so i just made sure i wanted to put an accurate represent like if the person didn't like the movie who wrote the review i didn't put a nice thing from their review to make it look like it was a good review so all the um all the i just thought it'd be a cool teaser um also the movie is so sound based so i wanted it like dark and Mm. Uh, and it's weird, so that's why I brought in the uh, choir score right at the end over the title card there. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I can't stand spoilers and trailers. I just can't believe how much. No, I talk about that all the fucking time. That pisses me off too. So like the second, the real full trailer is still basically like a teaser. It's like put a little bit more images. Yeah, uh, and I think especially for a for a genre that's so um, reliant sensory, on surprise. Right? Yeah, so sensory, so reliant on surprise and on you know the experience. It. it it behooves trailer editors to be a bit more um, reserved with what they show. Um, I don't know where my sight and sound thing was, That's but okay. I can tell you a few of them. Yeah. Okay. One of them was um, the longest cut of Terrence Malick's The New World. Wow. Okay. Okay. Which you can get on Criterion for sure. Mm-hmm. There's like three versions and the longest one. That's, I consider the longest cut of the new world to be, in my opinion, like my, the best movie ever. It's just so beautiful. Um, and more than that, but, um, that was definitely on there, especially in the first half and like her in the, on the, um, dry lake bed and that stuff uh, with the wind, you know, um, uh, another one is Woody Allen's interiors, which was his first drama. Um, not a laugh to be had really. It's just impeccably written and filmed and acted. I, so that was one. Um, hmm. Hmm. Those two. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. I don't know if that was on the list, though, for... But, yeah. Um, oh, Gummo would be on it. Oh, there you go. I'll give one more that I know for sure was on it, which is this film from Norway called Utoya. It's not the one that was on uh, Netflix. It's one that's never been released here for some reason. It's it's extremely powerful. Uh, so Utoya, July 22, I believe is what it's called. Whereas a Netflix one is called like July 22. This one's okay. Utoya, 22 July or something like that. Now, if you have a multi-region DVD or Blu-ray player, you can just get it for like 20 bucks from the UK and order it. It's very worth watching. Um, the only Blu-rays that exist don't have English subtitles, so don't get a Blu-ray. Just get the DVD from the UK. Um, 
it's been years. It doesn't look like it's getting released here. So that's really the only way, unless you like, I don't, I've, I've actually never illegally downloaded a movie, so I don't even know. We talked about on our possession episode, you couldn't watch that movie over here for like the longest time because the rights were in just like a purgatory. Well, so. it's extremely upsetting. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the, I guess, I don't know what happened. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, it's it's done as one take and it follows the actual timeline of the massacre in Norway when the summer camp was attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically just 80, 90 minutes straight of like one shot following these people as they try to hide and survive. And, and th- those moments that we were talking about earlier where you have a gun in your face and you're in those, it's, it's just completely upsetting and profound and beautiful and and no one's got a chance to see it over here it's uh don't watch the the netflix one is not anywhere near is it a remake or is it just a recut no it's just one of those things you know how like six cents and stir of echoes came out around the same time oh i see i see it's like that like they just happened to both be made around the same time and I was actually looking forward to the Netflix one because the director did United 93, which is also one of my favorite. That might actually be on my sight and sound list. Um, and I thought United 93 is amazing. Um, just something happened with this one. I just wasn't, yeah, it got a little too like written and yeah, it didn't focus on what I thought was important, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, it, so it, it does. Yeah. I, uh, I'm curious then in the, in the spirit of our show, you know, we usually ask guests, um, on the interview with an indie sideshow, um, if they were to put their film, uh, as Wes would say in rep with, um, or pair it with another film, uh, what would that film be? Now I know obviously in a lot of your interviews, you've already talked about, again, some of the influences you have. So my extra caveat for you would be, Mm. um, a non found footage film, uh, that you could see yourself that you would say like this, watch the outwaters and then watch this. They would make a great double feature. It might be interesting. Mm. Mm. I mean, usually I say skin and rink because everybody's comparing them anyway. And it is a kind of an interesting double feature, but I've already said that. So <laughs> I mean, it might be interesting to just watch something that's more akin to watching something heavenly as opposed to hellish. So a good double feature might be like the Outwaters and then don't worry, people, I'm not comparing myself to fucking Terrence Malick, but like the Outwaters and then Knight of Cups by Terrence ah, Malick. Okay. 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 Which is one of my personal favorites of his. There you go. I thought I you were going to go Days of Heaven with the heaven to as compared to hell contrast. I'm on the side of loving Terrence Malick's like later stuff that later a lot stuff. of people haven't yeah. talked into it. I also, of course, love Days of Heaven and Badlands is one of my favorite movies like ever. Badlands but... I used to be like in love with when I was in high school. I, I would watch that movie a lot. Uh, but yeah, I've actually not seen Knight of Cups, so this is a good opportunity. Yeah, I've only seen older stuff. I've seen Thin Red Line, Days of Heaven, and Badlands. So Knight of Cups, is a, has anyone seen Knight of Cups? Oh, no, that's the Fast Thunder Tree of Life. Right? I have seen Tree of Life. So it's, it's the same kind of thing as Tree of Life in that it's like you let it wash over you. It's very mm-hmm. fragmented in ways. That, but Knight of Cups is uh, it's one of my personal favorites of his. I just think it's so beautiful. 
yeah. um, and and dark in spots too. So yeah. My uh my other question for you in terms of uh advice for new filmmakers, and I think this is my last question at least, is you mentioned you know just now the process of sifting through reviews and <laughs> the purposes of editing them into your trailers. Uh. You know, and obviously you're someone who went to film school, so you learned the craft, you learned the rules, so you could break them, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how much would you say, you know, a first time, you know, debut filmmaker should take into account any review that they see, right? I mean, they say if you believe your best, you should believe your worst, um, if you're going to buy into them at all. <laughs> there are all sorts of, you know, advice there's there's all kinds of advice on that from different filmmakers Mm -hmm. personally i want to know what people think down to the micro individual because i made a movie for the public and i as much as sometimes it can fucking annoy me when i see people it's not so much people that don't like it but it's people that just make assumptions and state them as fact and they're actually not true but they 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 just state it as fact. That really bothers me. Yeah. Um. But I personally, I read everything. Now there will come. A, it's already. I can't read everything at this point because of all the stuff that's been written. Um. There's like three thousand five hundred letterbox reviews, so I can't. And yeah. it's probably a good idea to stop now. The movie's done. I've gotten everything. <laughs> but what I would say on that is, I showed it to all kinds of people all through the editing process. All through, I showed it to people that didn't know me, friends. I, mm-hmm. I, I had people fill out three-page surveys. Um, and a lot of the feedback I did take, and I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. Or, or I saw a theme, and too many people are feeling this way, even, and that was not my intent. So um, I would say take everything, but then, you know, you have to come to a point, and this is just, you make your own decisions. So that's why most of the reviews, the bad reviews I see now don't bother me or just make me roll my eyes. Cause most of it is criticism that I already took into account, processed, maybe even tried to play around with sure. and then decided against. And so most of the it's not for everybody. So it just makes sense yeah. that you dismiss certain things. Yeah, I mean, you know, like certain things, yeah, so, but I think feedback's important. You know, you you know who you trust, you know who has good taste. Try to use your friends that you think have good taste. Of course, if your taste is bad and then you think your friend's taste is good, then that might mean, you know, it's all, everybody's different, (laughs) all different brains. So it's, who knows, but um, I like, I've calmed down on reading everything because it's done with. I know every possible perspective and criticism at this point but um i find that interesting and it's hard with reviews it's it's hard i mean i i i remember getting recently justin knows this uh we sent our short over to a programmer and um the programmer came back and the review of the film was just like not at all the text of the movie and and you get stuff like that and it gets under your skin, but ultimately, like, what can you do about it? You know what I mean? Yes. It- um, I remember when I was in college, the only other time I ever submitted anything to a festival, I made this movie in college called The Dog Sitter. Mm-hmm. It was like a little 
20 minute short horror thing about a girl who's like dog sitting in this weird house and then it's kind of like a little weird house thing it was pretty good for what it was <laughs> if i do so myself <laughs> yeah i mean for what it i mean like a little shot on mini dv like horror sure. thing um and I remember I sent it to a festival and I was so excited and I was like, oh, they'll totally take it. And then they, when I called them up to ask, because I hadn't heard anything, the guy laughed. He's like, oh, yeah, the dog sitter. Yes, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but this is the thing. If you ask for people's feedback, like, if you have, you know, you're at, don't be, get pissed off at them if they give you their yes. honest opinion. Because one thing I definitely didn't expect, one of the pieces of feedback I never got all throughout the thing was that me and my friends are super annoying. I didn't realize that so many people were going to, that's like one of the things like, well, I don't know how to fix that. Because <laughs> we're all just being ourselves. <laughs> Did you want me to ask you an honest question? Did any of you find us annoying? And, and if so, I'm curious as to like, why? It's I, just I thought you were gonna like, say who did you find it? Who <laughs> specifically? And I'm like, um, it's just so because yeah, I just I that was when I wasn't like, uh, I guess I'm not like very self aware sometimes, but I was like, wait, why is so many people say we're annoying? Well, it could be a social thing. It's like if you're joining a new friend group, maybe you're just not used to the dynamics and, and maybe like in jokes and things yeah. like that, and so mm-hmm. they kind of like weird and then you have to like get to know a group of people i'll say that as it goes on you you definitely feel like you're starting to become a part of this friend group like right before everything goes to hell um yeah i i think uh i think going in i was expecting to I wasn't sure actually how to feel about them i mean i was expecting maybe to some i'm used to found footage movies creating a set of characters who are like broadly unlikable in a, in a, in a way this was oh go ahead a little bit because that's that's what i would wait let me just yeah, and i know i know you made an effort to not have that be the case you didn't want them to be like bickering amongst each other and and all no, of that yeah that's why this is so surprising to me because i can't stand it when the characters in found footage movies are fighting and they're like that's mm. like dumb, dumb. so i was like well i'll just you know like most of my friends that I hang out with and go on road trips and camp and do projects with, I like them. So I'll just have us all like each other and be yeah, nice yeah. to each other. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you I know, know. <laughs> you know, what's interesting. It's like, I think it, it, the movie has such a, and I know you, you're shooting it with collaborators that you've worked with before and your friends and stuff. It, it gives you a bit of a thing that Dan said, which is like, you're watching a friend group hang out sure. and you can't interact with them. And they're clearly have years together. So you're yeah. like watching them and you're like, fuck, like, I don't know any of these jokes. Like, it's I'm outside yeah. of this friend group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we were, that's why it's a little bit like, I'm like, oh, well, because we are just being ourselves. So when it's like, oh, these people fucking suck. I'm like, really? <laughs> I think I'm pretty fun. All we like, did was change our last names. That was it. <laughs> Basically, you know, and like, obviously there's, acting going on in certain spots but for the most part that's that is why i do sometimes find it funny when people say that acting is really bad in the first half i'm like well okay because we're just just us yeah Uh, (laughs) now if given that this is your real uh friend group uh if you guys all went to a desert place and there was some kind of evil that occurred there do you think you'd really be able to take the other three out or do you think they're taking you out 
like my me yeah. killing yeah. My, if like, among friends like would win a battle royale basically. Yeah, yeah 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 like am i taking my friends out like killing them well you know yeah. it, it's a situation that was our assumption that that's what happens in the do. film yeah. yeah yeah well i can't talk about what happens in the film no i feel like i would I mean, I hope I'm brave. I think it was pretty brave. <laughs> I think it was pretty brave. Oh, wait, that's not what you're asking, though. No, we're asking, like, who would win in a fight. Yeah. Oh, who would win? Yeah. yeah. Scott. Okay. 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 My big right. brother. Well, that's very humble. It's, yeah. He worked out and stuff. <laughs> I, I, I say I'm going to work out, and then I smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Say, saying you're gonna work out is just like working out though for me it is i'm working out my mouth your just brain work. is a muscle and you need to <laughs> challenge your brain by giving it the possibility of working out so you the stress and then that's kind of a, you know mental, mental flex yes. um, i thought you were gonna ask about like would you actually stay out there if these uh-huh. And I, and I was thinking, shit, like, I stay out during way worse, like, worse stuff. <laughs> like, we came across scarier stuff than the movie and stayed. There were no intestine snakes when you guys were just hanging out? I'm talking about in the first part when there's ominous, like, little things. So, like, we came across a, a, a wheelchair with a rusty knife and hammer on it, sitting in, sitting in front of a dugout hole in the middle of the desert, just a wheelchair no. with like from yeah, session yeah. and and i filmed it and i was like this is too cliche and but it was <laughs> real and then you know we actually did get swarmed by bees and then we had to go back and then we did um so yeah no I, that's a yeah no well, there, Robbie, well, i want you to know i'm going home i want you to know that the minute <laughs> i see that i'm going home <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, guys, you know. Will there be a movie about the making of the Outwaters? <laughs> <laughs> no, there are the two companion shorts that are going to be released on Screenbox on the 24th. Cool. For those who want more context and more answers, the two companion shorts um, provide that, but they also raise more questions too. So, Are, the, are these docu-shorts or are these narrative companions? So card zero is a prequel memory card. It's the last memory card my character uses before I switch memory cards and go into the desert. Um, and that shows, that gives a lot more context for my relationship with Michelle, mm. my dating life. Is there anything else with the mother? We talk about the mother okay. a little bit more. I found um, that caveat in the film to be, be very interesting. Like when we go back to seeing her in the apartment and it's very dim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a little bit more about that, just a little bit. Um, and the epilogue short is called File VL624, and that is um, that is experimental. It's restored, corrupted footage from the four memory cards, including card zero. And it's like the police tried to hire someone to restore this footage that was unusable and put it okay. together, but it's all... Yeah, that's the one that um, is more like Skin and Rink than the Outwaters for sure. Okay. If you don't consider Outwaters to be experimental, but you consider this to be experimental. File VL624, I would consider far more experimental than the Outwaters. Uh, but it, they're all the same universe. It's the same, all from the same files. So um, it, they do. it does answer some questions, but 
mm-hmm. opens up even bigger ones in some ways. And but mm-hmm. the part zero one definitely gives a little bit more context to some of the characters. Um, well, I, I guess the natural question following that um, stream of information is: Would you ever think of doing a sequel? Oh, totally. Yeah, much to the chagrin of some people. And what if a cast like goes out to the desert, or would it be kind of a continuation? Or you got the scoop on that? No one asked me that actually. Probably I know why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. yeah. Scoop. Yeah. No. Um. I have a very strong idea that's forming for a sequel. Okay. That I. Would, that I, mean, I would do years from now. I wouldn't do it. Um, but I do have one and it'll be a different thing, but it's still in the world. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's something that this is the, this is good advice. Cause it's for people trying to make their stuff. I'm like meeting with all, you know, producers and production companies and agents and managers now, which is all really awesome and, um, whatever, um, <laughs> it is, but what I'm going to do is have a few projects that I can make with my friends that I write and a few projects that I would need producers and a studio to make. And that way I'm not backed into any kind of corner. Like if I get the green light and find amazing people to work with on something that requires millions of dollars and an actual crew. Awesome. But if for whatever reason that falls through or takes years, I have projects all right. In well, the meantime, I want to go yeah. make something. So yeah. So the uh, an Outwater sequel is in on that side of. Um, I have a very strong idea that is different. Okay. That's cool. But still so, within the same world. But so it's something so, I can do with my friends. So no Nightmare on Elm Street legacy sequel in your future is what you're saying. You just don't want that on your. That's not the kind of thing you want to make. <laughs> a legacy sequel. Yeah, for like Nightmare on Elm Street or something. Oh well, I. They'll never want me to do it, but I would totally want to do a Scream movie. See, that's See? like, I would totally want to do a Scream movie. Every Scream movie, in my opinion, is a good movie, even the worst of them. Yeah, exactly. I think like a good movie. I, um, I've loved all of them up until now. I, I'm even a big Scream 3 guy. Like, I love Scream 3, you know. I thought this was better. Oh, I'm than sorry you didn't movie. like this one. Everybody else did, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone, <laughs> right, right. You, you know what it is? It looks like you guys you know, have found another guest for that scream review maybe if Robbie I feel wants like, to come back <laughs> I feel like I feel like scream the formula works they always have charming actors yes, that's what formula. you want the kills are always good like I'm like I'm I'm there's satisfied there's a really great set piece in there there's a great uh the set piece in the bodega is fantastic um sucks about that third act but that's okay uh right. you know I'm happy a lot of people like it I loved it. I had a lot of fun. I, I loved it fun. too. I, I just fun. care about everybody so much. So uh-huh. I just want, <laughs> it's like just the, I just want everybody to survive. Dude. Every time. Robbie, we certainly thank you for giving us that scoop. It's very exciting news. Uh, happy to see someone essentially carrying on the uh, Cloverfield torch. That's what it immediately came to mind for me. Uh, what, what Cloverfield was supposed to be with sort of anthological um, follow-ups in a, in a spooky universe. Um, I like uh, the idea of you doing that with the Outwaters. Um, so 
much appreciated. Uh, had a great time talking with you, Robbie. Feel free if you want, if you ever feel like coming and hanging out with us and talking about movies that aren't your own, uh, feel free. We love having guests on the show. Um, maybe it'll be Scream Six. Who knows? Um, but is there out. any? I'm, <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm just <laughs> here editing grunts and moans. <laughs> is there uh, anything else you'd you'd like to plug um, before uh, we sign out? Yes. Practical advice, trying to make your own stuff. I found a lot of inspiration from the making of, and I think audio commentary of Open Water. Hmm. So check out the making of Open Water and the audio commentary. And then just uh, something probably everybody who's listening and y'all already know, which is like keep watching the making ofs and audio commentaries of independent films that were made in similar fashions like guerrilla style. There's always a, a, a piece or two of great advice that'll stick with you Um, this is going to be a deep cut do you have like a favorite commentary track of all time it's probably okay okay um that's the one i've listened to the most Mm. yeah i i think open water has a con i just always forget if it's both or if it's just a making of or if it's both i think it's both but also, those those uh, filmmakers came to SVA when I was there and talked about the making of Open Water, so um, that always stuck with me. So I would recommend that. Oh, and the book um, Eight Days in the Woods by Matt Blasey. He wrote about, in great detail, the making of the Blair Witch Project from the okay. inception all the way to the marketing. It's amazing. That's awesome. I always love to hear people like sing praises for commentary tracks because that's like a big guilty pleasure of mine i like whenever i'm like making food if i'm like boiling pasta or whatever i love to have like a commentary track for like a movie that i'm really familiar with playing in the background and mm, getting yeah. insights i've never heard before so commentary tracks they're good and yeah. listen i'll say one last thing like i if you are passionate about making movies it doesn't like all this stuff with meeting with producers and and that kind of stuff um, I don't, it's, it's, I'm grateful for it and it's exciting, but I know that I can, if it doesn't work out and for whatever reason, I can always just go make something I'm passionate about with people that are also mm-hmm. passionate or that care about too. And if you really care about filmmaking or whatever your art is, like that's, you don't need a hundred million dollars to, 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 you know, to me, that's not like the dream. The dream is just getting to make something. Yeah. and getting better at something and you know finding an audience whether it's like a few people because you can only upload it to YouTube because you didn't get into festivals or you know just keep working on your stuff that's make your own damn movie yeah. make your own movie Robbie Banfitch everybody thank you so much hey